Faye, in this era of rapidly changing practice with respect to COVID, I am so happy that I have a continued subscription to the OBG project. Definitely. I have really appreciated my OBG First subscription as well because I get a lot of my information actually from my phone. And so when they email me and I'm able to rapidly click on those articles and read them before they go away, that really allows me to continue to stay up to date on everything that's going on. And it's even beyond just COVID, right? They send us summaries of the latest and greatest and randomized trials for obstetrics, gynecology, and primary care, as well as other interesting articles that, hey, that just may be relevant to my practice or just something fun to know. So if you're a fourth-year resident like Nick and I, you can get one year of subscription to OBG First absolutely free. And we have actually gone beyond our first year, and I have continued to subscribe to uh, the OBG Project and OBG First just because I think that it is so helpful for my current practice and for my learning. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs over, over Coffee. All right, so today we're going to hearken it back. You may remember back in December, we talked about vulvovaginal itching. And today we're going to get a little bit deeper into that with some benign vulvar dermatoses. So Nick, what are our learning objectives for today? So we're going to do a brief review of diagnosis and workup of complaint primarily of vulvovaginal itching, but of vulvar disease in general. Secondly, we're going to review three common vulvar disorders, lichen simplex chronicus, lichen sclerosis, and lichen planus. And then finally, we're going to talk more about topical corticosteroids and various potencies of topical corticosteroids. As you'll find, this is a theme with respect to treatment of vulvar dermatoses. So Faye, um, let's go through the quick refresher, I guess, to start. When somebody comes in with a vulvar complaint, it itches down there. What do we need to think about? So a few big things. One, as with everything in all of medicine, you want to make sure that you take a good history and physical. These two things are really going to be helpful for you to establish acute versus chronic and also narrow down the most likely suspects. So make sure that you are getting a good history and physical. The next thing is your studies. So really labs aren't that helpful in these cases for for um, benign vulvar dermatoses, but the big thing that you want to do is a wet mount. Um, unless you're really suspecting that someone is immunocompromised or maybe they need a general culture for persistent vaginitis symptoms. But really the big things are going to be your wet mount. And finally, um, if you do think that someone needs a biopsy, this is usually done to rule out possible pre-malignant or malignant areas. So those are kind of your big three things, history and physical, your wet mount, and then possibly a biopsy. All right, Nick, so let's just jump right into it. Let's talk about lichen simplex chronicus. What is it? How do we diagnose it? How do we treat it? Lichen simplex chronicus, I don't know if LSC is actually a thing that people say to refer to this, but I'm going to say LSC because it's easier to say than lichen simplex <laughs> chronicus, is a chronic non-scarring inflammatory condition that really is characterized by these intense itch scratch cycles. And that's how they refer to it in the practice bulletin. The most commonly reported symptom with LSC is a chronic or intermittent intense itching that is most commonly onset in the evening or at nighttime. 
It's a really common vulvar dermatosis. This is about a third of vulvar clinic visits and is often a secondary condition actually to other itchy vulvar disease, things like contact dermatitis or chronic yeast vaginitis. This is most commonly encountered in middle-aged women or elderly women. Um, additionally, this is thought to be kind of an allergic type of disease, so it's also clustered in women with a history of environmental allergies, asthma, or childhood eczema. The appearance of lichen simplex chronicus is often erythematous, scaling, or lichenified, as the name may imply, which lichenified I didn't realize until prepping for this fay means a thickened or leathery appearance. So you'll see these sort of thickened or leathery plaques, and of course because of the itching and scratching going on, various degrees of excoriation. Skin with long-standing disease actually can look bark-like, is the way it's described, because of the thickness of the plaques that can result. Um, consideration should be given to identifying other diseases that might contribute to itching, like candesiasis. Again, this can be a secondary condition of other disease, but biopsy is generally not indicated. LSC tends to look like LSC, and that's what it is. Treatment is multi-pronged overall um, and focuses on a couple of different things. Number one, stopping the itch-scratch cycle. Um, you don't want to damage the skin any further. Secondly, you want to remove anything that could be the primary cause of this or something that is exacerbating it. Things like contact dermatitis, excessive heat or moisture in the area, um, or treatment of any superimposed or underlying infections. For LSC itself, you should use a medium or high-potency topical corticosteroid applied once or twice daily, and we'll get back to what that means, a medium or high-potency steroid. Um, if starting on a steroid, the patient should be seen again within about four weeks to assess response and adjust course if necessary. And then, of course, you can always use as part of stopping that itch-scratch cycle oral antipyritic medications, things like antihistamines. All right, so Faye, I think that covers LSC. Let's move on to lichen sclerosis. All right, and let me just say that this is great studying for the boards because I can never get all of these lichen disorders straight. Yeah, they all sound so similar. They do, but they're very different. So moving on to lichen sclerosis. Lichen sclerosis is a chronic scarring disorder that is bimodal in age distribution. It affects most commonly the anogenital skin of prepubertal girls and postmenopausal women, so really young and older populations. Often this can be asymptomatic and can go unrecognized by many clinicians, but if it is symptomatic, it most commonly presents as symptoms such as itching, irritation, burning, dyspareunia, and even tearing of the skin. So on exam, the skin has this classic cigarette paper appearance. Um, so I don't smoke cigarettes and have never rolled a cigarette. <laughs> and so whenever I heard this, I was like, what does that mean? Basically, it means that it's thin, it's whitened, and it's crinkled. So very, very thin appearing skin that looks like it could easily tear. Extensive involvement from the superior vulva to the perianal tissues may create what's called an hourglass shape of involvement, which is very classic for this disease. And then due to the scarring nature of the condition, the introitus can actually be narrowed and there may be phimosis, which is this inability to retract the skin around the clitoral hood and presence of fissures. 
biopsy is generally warranted in postmenopausal patients um, because, first of all, you don't really know how long this disease process has been going on for those patients, and patients with lichen sclerosis have an increased risk of vulvar squamous cell carcinoma ranging from 2 to 5%. So where should biopsies be taken? You should take them from areas that appear to be high risk. So if there are any presence of any ulcers or erosions that aren't getting any better, or places that are hyperpigmented or hyperkeratotic. Treatment of lichen sclerosis is important to halt and prevent further scarring. Basically, you're trying to prevent destruction of the architecture of the vulva. So you can start initially with a high-potency corticosteroid, um, something like clobetazole propionate 0.05% or mimetazone furoate 0.1%. In terms of like when to give it, how often to give it, this dosing and application schedule isn't well studied, but the practice bulletin does recommend nightly for four weeks and then every other night for four weeks and then twice weekly for four weeks. So really, um, you don't want to put them on such high dose steroids for a, a really long time without trying to wean them down from that because the steroids themselves can cause a steroid effect uh, on the vulva. These patients do need to be placed on maintenance therapy though, and this is generally needed until puberty in girls or lifelong in older patients. Um, And this should be the most infrequent dosing that maintains resolution and does not cause more outbreaks. For disease not responding to steroids, it's actually most important to ensure that the diagnosis is correct. So you don't wanna be treating vulvar cancer or VIN with steroids. You can do things like intralesional steroid injections or topical calcineurin inhibitors such as tacrolimus, um, but consider actually referring to a vulvar specialist before you are doing any of these things. All right, Nick. Um, So that brings us, I think, to our last uh, lichen problem, which is lichen planus. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so I think lichen planus is kind of the funkiest of these. Again, I've never seen lichen planus myself, so I'm kind of like just going off the textbooks here a bit. But um, this is a multi-system dermatosis. So this classically affects not just the skin itself, but the oral mucosa and vulvovaginal areas tend to be two places where it really affects um, affects the skin. So this is something that OBGYNs may encounter as a primary complaint that is actually indicative of a much larger issue. Lichen planus is thought to be a consequence of a dysfunctional cell-mediated immune system, and up to a third of patients with lichen planus have been identified to have other autoimmune disorders. That being said, as I mentioned earlier, the disease is pretty rare. The incidence is only less than 1% in the general population. Um, It most commonly presents, though, in perimenopausal and menopausal women, um, with the common primary presenting symptom of dyspareunia. Um, Additional symptoms may include burning, soreness, itching, and increased vaginal discharge. The diagnosis is complicated, um, partly because lichen planus also has multiple potential presentations. This disease, again, can take on multiple different subtypes, which we'll review here shortly. But Importantly, over 70% of women who have vulvovaginal disease will also have oral involvement. So if you suspect lichen planus, you should also take a look in the mouth in addition to looking at the vulva. And there are a couple of different subtypes, but there are three that we'll review here. The first is the classic presentation, or otherwise known as the papulosquamous presentation. This is a white reticular and lacy appearance and is described as fern-like striae or breakdown of the skin. 
Um, sometimes this also can come up with dusty pink and poorly demarcated papules. Um, occasionally with extensive involvement of lichen planus, this can white out the vulvar skin and can look kind of confusing versus lichen sclerosis. Again, we talked about earlier the classic of that um, hourglass type of shape, and so if it's completely whited out, again, biopsy may be helpful. Erosive lichen planus, on the other hand, entails deep, painful erythematous lesions that most commonly affect the posterior vestibule and extend to labia minora. The architecture can often be distorted with erosive lichen planus, and the vaginal epithelium may be completely denuded at presentation. Um, these lesions tend to be extremely friable, and so can also be concerning or have the appearance that's concerning for something more serious like malignancy. And finally, hypertrophic is worth noting. It's the least common presentation of lichen planus, um, though the presentation is unique in that it presents with these white, thick, warty-appearing plaques. A wet mount performed for lichen planus as we get back to diagnosis often demonstrates an abundance of immune cells in addition to parabasal and basal epithelium, generally an increased vaginal pH around 5 to 6. And then again, because of the strangeness of the presentation, biopsy may be indicated and can also be helpful for distinguishing from even rarer diagnoses of um, other dermatoses like bullous pemphigoid or pemphigus vulgaris. Uh, honestly, those are things you're going to have to ask your dermatology friends about because <laughs> I can't quite remember. I know remember blisters and things, but that's not one that I think I'd encounter too frequently. Okay, so let's say you encounter lichen planus vulva vaginally. What should you do to treat it? As you might have guessed, treatment is based on expert opinion, but high-potency topical corticosteroids are a great choice. Um, generally, to start with lichen planus, you use a high-potency steroid twice daily and taper it back over time. For erosive disease, these patients should really be seen by a vulvar specialist um, because this Erosive disease really needs sometimes some intravaginal steroid therapy with like hydrocortisone suppositories, and often these patients will have a good amount of scarring intravaginally, so they may also need dilator therapy in addition to those suppositories. All right, Faye, I think that covers our lichens, at least for now, um, but we treated basically everything here with steroids, and we kept mentioning medium high potency. Like what exactly do we need to know about steroids and how do I keep that straight? Right. So basically, I'm going to say that we're going to have a list of the medium and high potency and low potency corticosteroids on our website that is taken from the practice bulletin 224. It's going to be very boring if I just sit here and list them all off for you. But what I will say is that if you look at the actual names of the steroids, a lot of them have similar names in the first term. So if you're looking at like betamethasone or um, triamcinolone or something like that. So just make sure that when you're actually looking at the full steroid, you're also looking at the dose because different doses will make them low, medium, or high potency. And also different formulations of a steroid will also make them low, medium, or high potency. The other thing to remember is that ointments are the preferred treatment compared to creams, lotions, or gels because ointments usually have the least additional additives that can make skin more sensitive and also allow for the highest effective dose to penetrate the skin. Because a lot of times what can happen is patients will say that they are allergic to a steroid cream or something like that. And really they're not allergic to the steroids themselves. They're allergic to the additives that have been put into the cream or the lotion. 
All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of this topic. Why don't we go ahead and summarize? Sure. So again, the quick refresher on diagnosis and workup of vulvar disease, history and physical are most important. A wet mount is usually the only lab you're going to need. And then biopsies in general are reserved for ruling out those pre-malignant or malignant disease areas. Lichen simplex chronicus is what we talked about first. This is a chronic non-scarring inflammatory condition mostly characterized by this intense itch-scratch cycle and can sometimes be secondary to another disorder that has led to this itch-scratch cycle. So on exam, what you'll normally see is erythematous scaling and or lichenified plaques with various degrees of excoriation because that patient has been scratching for such a long time. Treatment is to get them to stop that itch scratch cycle and also to remove anything that could be causing them to have that itching and then also giving them medium or high potency steroids to apply once or twice daily and then also possibly oral antipertic medications to get them to stop scratching. We next talked about lichen sclerosis, which again is a chronic scarring disorder that's bimodal in its age distribution, affecting primarily prebubertal girls as well as postmenopausal women. This can be asymptomatic, but often it presents with itching, irritation, burning, and tearing of the skin. Again, the skin is very fragile. It has that cigarette paper or thin, whitened, crinkled appearance. Classically can present in an hourglass shape from the superior vulva to the perianal tissue. There may be other scarring, including scarring around the clitoral hood or narrowing in the introitus. Biopsies warranted in postmenopausal patients because there's an increased risk of vulvar squamous cell carcinoma around 2 to 5% and in high risk areas, things that look funky. Um, treatment is important in order to halt and prevent further scarring using a high potency corticosteroid, generally nightly for four weeks, every other night for four weeks, and then twice weekly for four weeks. And maintenance therapy is often needed until puberty in girls are lifelong in older women and should be the most infrequent dosing that maintains resolution. Finally, we talked about lichen planus, which is actually a multi-systemic scarring dermatoses, which can affect the skin, the oral mucosa, and the vulval vaginal areas. So you may encounter this as an OBGYN because that's what patients present with. They can have this itchy, soreness, burning in the vaginal area. However, it is a very, very rare condition affecting only 1% of the population, and it's most commonly seen in perimenopausal and menopausal women. The diagnosis is quite complicated because there are multiple potential presentations like we talked about before. We talked about the classic or the papulosquamous presentation. We talked about erosive as well as hypertrophic um, presentations. So you can use a wet mount for diagnosis because you would see a lot of immune cells such in addition to parabasal and basal epithelium as well as an increased pH. And biopsy may also be indicated depending on the presentation and it may be helpful to distinguish lichen planus from other diagnoses like bolus pemphigoid or pemphigus vulgaris. Treatment and you probably guessed this, is going to be more high-potency topical corticosteroids, generally twice daily and then tapered after a while. Finally, check out the website for those medium high-potency corticosteroids. Look for those patterns in terms of the names, the dosage, and the conjugating agents. That way you can figure out exactly which one's high-potency and which one's less potent. Again, ointments are the preferred treatment for these dermatoses compared to creams, lotions, or gels because these have the least additional additives, least irritating read, as well as the highest effective dose for skin penetration. All right, so once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee.
So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, and give us a five-star rating and review. Find us online on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee, and also on our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. Give us some love, we'll give you a shout out or maybe some swag. Head on over to our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com for show notes on this and all of our previous episodes. If you have a question or a correction for this episode or any other episode or some episode suggestions, go ahead and email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. 